you know, the, the 25,000 or whatever that Nike was offering me just didn't move the needle enough to not try this next type of situation, which if I'm able to, you know, stay in the league and sign an extension and all the other stuff, God willing, which it looks like I will be able to, you might be talking about an eight-figure deal for the next three, four-year extension with 361. Welcome to Playing Business. I'm Deshaun Kaiser. And I'm Dan Gardner. During season one of Playing Business, we sat down with professional athletes, sports commentators, league owners, and one of the world's most prolific climbers to ask the question, can success in sport translate to success in business? Spencer likes to refer to himself as a tech guy with a jumper. We'll get into his journey with the Brooklyn Nets and how he's launched several businesses, such as his own shoe brand, Kairos, and how he tries to unlock trap capital using his creator marketplace, Galaxy. Spencer will also give us the inside story of the unique process of how he tried to securitize his NBA contract. First, let's start with, with Kairos and, and what you're trying to do with that, yeah. and then uh, maybe we end up with, with something like Kairos. Yeah, so Kairos and everything that, that, that went into the shoe and the creative process, I think that was kind of a creative brainchild. So, you know, you have uh, kind of different entrepreneurship lanes. Right? Like there's some that are designed explicitly kind of to make money. And it might be something that really follows your mental train of thought and some are just purely creative. When I started a shoe company four or five years ago, it was kind of about that creative process. I really loved it and I, at the time I didn't get a deal. You know, and we talked about that kind of middling time period where um, I wasn't sure if the NBA was for me and, and all that other stuff just because I got cut a couple times and it was a really tough road, you know what I'm saying? Being a second round pick, being hurt, all that other stuff. Um, and, I, and I wanted to create something that I felt like was a little bit different. Um, and the shoe was one of those things. I used to draw shoes as a kid, so it was like, you know, a, a passion project of sorts. Um, going over to China, building relationships there, um, going there for various different reasons, whether it be with the NBA or with my teammate, playing in his charity game, et cetera, um, you end up building some relationships. And so um, when it came time for me to sign my, my big deal with uh, DC, ironically, um, or, or Brooklyn, kind of, because I guess it was a sign and trade, technically, you know, China came calling. And, and 361 came calling. And so they bought me out of my passion project business, gave me a more traditional style um, shoe deal. I still have my signature. I still have a lot of creative control in that process, but it's gonna look and feel a little bit more familiar to a traditional shoe deal versus a uh, Galaxy that's more so like a brainchild, but it's more designed to be a full-blown business, not just a passion project. Yeah, I think there's this unbelievable brand that you've been able to build around yourself that obviously now gets to, to you know, connect into any of the ventures you like to do outside of that. Is that something that has come easy? Is that, is that something that you lead or you have a team around you? Like, where, where do you, how do you go about brand building? Um, def definitely have a team. Yeah. I, I think, um, again, though, because it's authentic to me from the, the journey of my father, I think, the willingness to take chances, um, that's kind of where that seed was planted. And so in terms of building a brand, I was willing to take chances. Like, when I was building my, my shoe, I, I went to China. Mm. And we're talking about the world tour with thousands and millions of fans packing out of malls. So like, I met with a factory and, and sat at that table yeah. and talked yeah. about the different tooling and, and foams and, you know, construction types and, and taking the drawing and bringing it to life. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a real, like, ground floor process that there is to building anything, whether it be a business, whether it just be a shoe that I'm gonna wear myself if I'm gonna mass produce it, except there's, there's so many intricacies into doing things like this. And when you really sit down and you're, and you're at the base level and you, you learn it beyond just even creating it, because you know, it's far easier to say like, okay, I have a drawing, 
send it over there. Whatever comes back, I'll try to deal with it. But to go over there to learn it. And, and granted, I, I had people that guided me along the way. So it wasn't just me doing it myself. Like there was a guy, Rob, and another guy, Q. And so I try to give everybody their flowers as we talk about these, these different things. Because this wasn't Spencer just being a savant and dreaming it out the air. Like, yes, I had the, the, the first piece, but, you know, people have to kind of help you and guide you on the stage. But you also have to sit down and really learn it from right. each expert and, and all the pitfalls, you know what I'm saying? And, and what makes an effective shoe? And, you know, my first two, three samples were awful. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and, yeah. and not even due necessarily to the factory, but because, like, my understanding of it wasn't correct. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And mm. if you give them explicit instructions, they're going to build exactly what you say. Mm. And if it's not good, well, then what you get back is not going to be good. And it's, and it's all on you. When you have full equity of something, you have to also have yeah. full responsibility. So if what comes back is either, A, a decrease in profit, or B, a BS product, you have to look yourself in the mirror and be like, how do I adjust? give it up and, and at the stage you know the the 25,000 or whatever that Nike was offering me just didn't move the needle enough to not try this next type of situation which you know now has resulted in a three-year seven-figure deal from 361 this time and if I'm able to you know stay in the league and sign an extension and all the other stuff God willing which it looks like I will be able to you might be talking about an eight-figure deal for the next three, four-year extension with 361. But I had to take those lumps early instead of the 25,000 for two, three years, which would have been 75 grand, right, 100 right. grand maybe, right. from Nike. And now I have easily, after taxes, 20x that at least. You clearly are approaching business with the passion, similar to the way yeah. you approach basketball and it's hard to be successful in business. There's very few that actually yeah. get to do it, just like there's very few people yeah. that get to the league. How are you balancing that? Because you, you're like, I need to be in there, I need to understand it. And obviously you have very incredibly supportive people, yeah. you know, Solo's awesome, you exactly. reference a couple other people. So you have the support system, like any business does, exactly. but still, it's hard to do it, even if you spent you know, every waking moment. So how are you doing that? I think uh, a combination of surrounding myself with people, but then also myself, I want to learn it. And I think that was kind of what we talked what we talked about just kind of with the shoe, right? I want to learn it. I want to know it. Not just I want to learn how the business of making a shoe, but I want to learn every intricacy of a shoe. Give me the different type of foams. Tell so me the different price. curiosity drives like, you. All of it. It yeah. has to, right? Because I need to know. Yeah. And and that may be my greatest gift and greatest curse, but you know, if you can pick one or two or maybe even three things that you really need to know, and you can kind of lock in and, and, and explore those things and flesh them out fully, then you have a chance to do something great. And I think with basketball, the way I watch film, the way that I stayed the game from the beginning, you know what I mean? I wanted to know why these guys were like this. What was the separation? All these, there's, there's so many talented people. There's, there's probably 2,000 people in the world that could really play in the NBA, if we're being real. 1,500 to 2,000. Why do only 500 make it? Beyond the politics, what else is here? How do they see the game? What what differentiates, you know what I'm saying? Because to say, oh, they're just better, there's probably three guys that are just better. Right. LeBron, Steph, say maybe a KD, a Giannis, right? Like that are either built different or too strong or can shoot from here or whatever it is. But like, what's the difference between, you know, Juan Toscano Anderson, why did he make it? And mm -hmm. why is, you know, Eugene Phelps overseas. Mm. Similar physical builds, similar profiles. Mm. 
What changed? He, nothing truly remarkable about his skill set versus his. Why not? So the, it's all about the why for you, even this, the why. This, the why. Exactly. The what is sure, but the why. Exactly. Yeah. And so as I approach the businesses that I've approached, and I've really tried to make full-blown entities versus all investing or whatever, it was the why, and it was also saying it was something that was authentic to me. If you look at Galaxy and where it started, and also the extension of where we're going, it has a lot to do with macro finance and liquidity. You know what I'm saying? Just pure monetization of the individual. You know what I'm saying? Whether we talk about securitizing the contract, whether we talk about endorsement deals, whether we talk about interconnecting brands, whether we talk about influencers and connecting them with fans, the intersection of the NBA as an entertainment industry, getting more, uh, kind of removing themselves to the middleman even more, getting into gambling and fan, fan ownership. All that stuff is wrapped into a very similar concept. How we approach it may be a little niche, right? But it's a similar concept, and that's something that makes a lot of sense to me. Everything being a chip on the table, representing value. How do we unpack scarcity and why? Liquidity isn't discussed enough. Sort of the the un, the unpacking of the yeah. the access to it is just so limited the way it's discussed, and liquidity is just as equal. You think there should be more emphasis on the understanding of that? See that that's the key that really gets me going. Yeah, because you've experimented piece. in the liquidity aspect of, yeah. you know, how to, how to make it accessible. So I told Solo when we were first talking about the whole contract securitization five years ago, I fully believe that there's a world where, like, I'll be able to sell 0.001% of my house for a loaf of bread. Like, I'll be able to walk into Whole Foods, you know what I'm saying, double-click on my phone, and the way you see Apple Pay, I'll have, you know, a couple million house tokens or something. And I'll be like, I'll click this house token, boom, get bread. Now, that may be five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever, down the line. But I fully believe at some point in time, and this was kind of my, what drew me to blockchain or Web3 in general. Um, but even without that, just in, if you look at life, currently the U.S. is on a debt system. If you look at other parts of the world, they usually buy the things in cash, right? Both have their pros and cons. But what you really need, right, is a seamless flow of value where everything is a chip on the table. So if I did buy it in cash, cool. A mortgage or whatever, that's right. fine too. But I need to be able to exchange all these things with a click of a button and not be, okay, I need to get a mortgage. It's going to be 30, 45 days. Okay, now that I got this money, I got this loan, and my debt-to-income ratio is this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this. It's, it's all these other points, whereas money should flow like a text message. Value should flow like a text message. And so if I have a trading card or something else super valuable, and my trading card's a million dollars, why can't I sell 0.001% of this to get a loaf of bread? I agree there's too many people taking things through the transaction yeah. that is not equitable to maybe both sides of that yeah. transaction. There's bureaucracy oftentimes mm -hmm. that prevent it from even happening, which obviously is an extreme problem. But if you take the whole other side of that, there's also dangers in too much flexibility and access to uh, moving around the value that one has or the one value that one's bringing. You know, debt could be amazing. Debt unlocks huge opportunity, but For debt sure. could be incredibly dangerous. Equity is something very valuable. We've talked about equity could also yeah. be a negative thing, but if you don't have any, if you start giving away your equity, not for, for the right upside opportunity, you're giving away your future. Yeah. So re removing the friction, do you see that at all being dangerous? I think what happens if you really look at it, the people that can service debt and, and uh, commission debt are still gonna be the big players. So I don't think you're gonna be able to consume all of this debt if you're not 
getting it from a bank or you're not getting it from a kind of a verified source. I think that the issue of morality in terms of yeah. human equity will always be an issue. But I don't think that the tangible physical equity and free flowing of assets will be an issue because you're not able to, to uh, 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 pump in a bunch of debt from the system because only the banks can really do that, right? Yeah. You got to either lever leverage equities, get a mortgage, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's something that the banks are like, I can't give you a mortgage. Or I can't tell you your stock portfolio worth $10 million. Here you go. Here's a line of credit for, no, banks got to do that. And they're still going to be judging people based on yeah. whatever they do. And then, like I said, if we solve the morality issue of, of possible equity in a person, then, then those are the two main pitfalls. Other than that, everything being a chip on the table, I think, is the way that we need to go. Mm -hmm. And I think that value being able to move in general is actually better for the system because you think about all the trap capital if it can flow now you have many more opportunities for wealth that we don't have um, um currently today and and not due to any fault of anybody i'm with you 100 percent on that 100 percent. I, I see a world in the next you know decade in which every physical valuable product you have has a digital counterpart that allows you to to um, you know, exchange that value and use that value in a different way. I, I find it so interesting that we obviously have our portfolio apps that can show us all the fiat assets that we have sitting yeah. in the bank and our stocks and, and our portfolios there, but your watch, your car, your collection of wine, all of that are the assets that you know you have sitting in the back of your mind, but you have no way to, to, to really manage yeah. it in the same space as you manage your other assets. So I really think that there's a, a, a real opportunity to start looking at the things that, that hold value in the secondary market, the things that appreciate in the secondary market. There's this, this new opportunity to use uh, digital tools yeah. to uh, share value. You know? yeah. It's a very fundamental piece of society. I want to kind of take a step back when you're talking about the sneakers. Uh, you have to get in at the ground floor. Yeah. And I think that the whole point of, of what we're trying to do here is that we agree if you really want to you know, be a great business person, but the reality is, is you don't have to. Yeah. You know, you, you, you've, you've built yourself a brand, you play on TV every, every week, and in and, and doing so, it is really easy for you to do the, the lazy version of, of business, the yeah. influencer version of business, yeah. where you sign off on it, they send you a couple ideas, it sounds good, money hits your account, and they go off and they do something, and you, yeah. and you show up to your obligations. But you consistently continue to choose to go in there and, and learn the most fundamental pieces of that business. As we start to unpack Galaxy and where yeah. you're at today with that business, talk about what you had to do to, un to get oh, in at yeah. the ground floor of blockchain, social marketplaces, the creator economy. How did that become what it is today? Oof. A lot of businesses I started had a certain level of passion to me. So we talked about macro finance, something I've been interested in from the beginning. In part, I think, because my dad was in real estate like we talked about. And so I tried to look at like how people got rich. The slow way was definitely real estate, for sure. It was funny because when I was a kid, I was like, how did financial industries evolve? Everybody talked about real estate, stocks, bonds, precious metals. Well, I started looking at like, when were they invented? How did they come to be? Why did they come to be? What was coming next? And so as I got a little bit of money and I got a little bit more settled in my career around like 2017 or so, I started looking at what may be coming next. Crypto ended up being like, possibly the first birth of an asset class in like 
60 years, yeah. 70 years, something mm. like that. Mm. And so that appealed to me from the standpoint of, at the beginning, just making money, yeah. right? Because you're looking at these different various asset classes and you're like, oh, people that gotten on the ground floor killed it, yeah. right? If you were one of the first people to buy a couple cribs, you worth hundreds of millions of dollars now, mm -hmm. and, and you didn't even know. Like you just you bought a plot of land in the gold rush for ten dollars, mm -hmm. or, or mm -hmm. shit, three dollars at the time, right? You don't even know. Mm -hmm. And now your kids' kids got Manhattan Square or something, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it was that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then what happens is you kind of ride the the rise and the crash, and you're like, okay, there's more to this than just making money. There's more to this than the kind of the juvenile like. I just want to be rich, right? Get rich quick type thing. What is this? What's behind it? That's where blockchain comes in and you start saying like, okay, the technology behind it does this, right? So there's still phenomenal growth opportunity, but like now we're getting into the technology. Well, why do the other tokens come? Well, how does this technology now apply to my life with these premises, et cetera? Okay, we're looking at basketball. We're looking at the entertainment industry. We're looking at trap liquidity. We're looking at how they say it's going to affect macro finance, which again, like I said, liquidity, but also, okay, with basketball, what, what can I do? The entertainment industry, mm. how can I help people, mm. right? So there's, there's all these different thought processes and the stages of how it kind of graduates and evolves. That's how you get to securitizing the contract, right? Mm. If I can unlock trap liquidity, but then again, look at the entertainment industry as a whole. What is it designed to do? Mm. Bring talent closer to the consumer. That's really it. Yeah, yeah. The NBA is an intermediary that tries to bring talent to the consumer in an easily consumable fashion, right? Like if you, I told, I told people this when I was securitizing my contract, I was like, if you take the NBA logo and you put it in the middle of Times Square, people might stop, they might take a picture. They'd be like, what the fuck is this? Like, they'd be like, uh, I don't know. I guess I'll take a picture, something may be coming. Mm. If you took LeBron James and dropped him in the middle of Times Square, mm. it's a rush of people. Mm. You take me and drop me in the middle of Jinan mm -hmm. in China. Like I showed you the video. Mm -hmm. Five stories high, we got people wrapped around the mall. They, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And the NBA just does it more effectively than any other basketball league, mm -hmm. right? They find ways to bring them closer. Well, we looked at gambling coming, mm -hmm. right? What is gambling except betting on your favorite players? Mm -hmm. And right, And people want assets that not only they hope that will go up in value or know that they'll go up in value. They want to be emotionally attached to it. There's a rush behind that human experience. Like we're social creatures. We want to be attached to things, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if we only focus on securitizing contracts and we start with the NBA, there's only 500 of us, which means there's a certain ceiling. Mm -hmm. We have to work with the SEC every time, which means it's difficult. A lot of guys are going to get skittish because they're like, well, I'm already making money. Why would I try to make just a little bit more? Yeah. Why would I take this risk? The NBA already got mad at you. The SEC already... You know what I'm saying? It's like kind of sort of working with you, but it's not like they're giving you like the full stamp of approval. Like it's 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 a struggle. It's hard, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you can kind of go this creator route, you now have access to every person on the planet because mm -hmm. every person can be a creator if they so choose. Mm -hmm. So now you're marketing instead of 500 to seven and a half billion, mm -hmm. whether they make ten dollars or ten million. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you get a little bit out of the securities landscape. Mm -hmm. You start just dealing with interactions and you start to grow into this social marketplace that has a chance to scale into something that by the time you reach back to securities, which we've already proven the model, mm. you know what I'm saying, you can capture all of it. Mm. And again, that may sound like boiling the ocean, but that's not necessarily like 
our uh, uh, goal of like we have to get everything, but it was we've done this, we have proof of concept, we know how it works, we also know the pitfalls, we also know how we can make this slight pivot and become far more accessible and uh, reachable and um, just attainable. And so any good business sometimes you have to be able to humble yourself enough to pivot to something that works better for the masses even if it wasn't your initial perfect brainchild. Do you consider securitizing your contract a failure? And are you still happy you did that? Or success? Oh, I consider it a massive success. And it has nothing to do with the money that I made or or how much it cost, because I would say, no, no, I, I made good money off it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie and say I broke even. I made good money off it, but the hassle and the NBA getting mad and all that other stuff, there's half of mine where it's like I shouldn't have even done it. With securitizing my contract, fighting with the NBA, understanding SEC rules, all that stuff, that's what helps create the the umbrella and the context of like oh, we probably need to kind of go this direction. Mm-hmm. I know this isn't exactly where I want it. And then obviously having a good co-founder and solo saying, like, yo, like, we're, we've got that same ethos, that trap liquidity, help people monetize themselves ethos. But if we take this little, little fork in the road right here, we can touch everybody mm-hmm. versus, like, what you were talking about. And that's where, again, we talk about having great people around you, me also getting it on the ground floor, A, but humbling myself, B. Because... Yep. If I hold too fast to my beliefs and I say, oh, I'm only right, it's the, it's my way or the highway, I've got the money, you got to do what I say, we don't have the latitude to do some of the stuff that we do. And, and maybe we are successful securitizing some contracts, but I think as you've seen the product that we, that we yeah. have, we have a chance to do something far bigger and still at some point in time possibly double back and securitize contracts because that, that stuff's coming with the way gambling is, is going. Securitizing your contract, what, what does that look like? Like, give, give me like the mechanics of, of what you had to do to actually make that happen. I was trying to do something that I thought brought the ecosystem together. Yeah. It brought fans closer to players. It was going to unlock some trapped liquidity. It was going to be great for the league because people are going to feel more involved, all this stuff. So I'm thinking all three prongs of the system, NBA, player, fan, we're going to feel great about this. Yeah. And people were saying in basically mass media, crazy crypto kid trying to rip people off. And it was like, bro, like, there, there's literally 50 pages of legal documents right. talking about how you could take my house if I ripped you off. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it, this, this was not the ethos, not the premise. If you knew who I was, it's not what I was trying to do. And people ran with that. And the NBA was mad at first, and I had to keep just arguing back and forth. And it was, it was a situation where even after they cleared it, because there was so much misinformation, like, people asked me for shit good year or so after the fact like you still fighting with the NBA did you rip them off blah blah I'm like bro no like that's not the intention at all so you know that was the tough part about it obviously now with Galaxy we're doing things with the creative economy still with that kind of spark from that first piece and and that actually the fight garnered so much awareness what does the the journey drive you more than the end like is it about the championship or the road to the championship? Is it the the trial of argument? And you know, I love discourse. Yeah. When we're here yeah, with discourse. Yeah, yeah. Is that perspective, those moments, is that what drive you? Or is it obviously everybody likes to win at the end, everybody wants the money at the end, but what drives you on all this? 
I think the journey is the reward. I think when you're young, you think it's the championship. When you're young, you think it's the 100 million or the billion dollars or whatever it is. I think once you get into it, you realize that it's the journey. And I think the harder people fought me in terms of saying my intention was bad, the more I dug my heels in because I had full conviction and belief. And I knew I wasn't doing anything wrong, right? Mm -hmm. If they had explicitly been like, hey, I know you thought this was right, but it's wrong, and here's why. Boom, boom, boom. I can humble myself enough to be like, oh, shit, I didn't see that angle. I'm wrong. But the more it was like, you're trying to rip off the league. You're a bad guy. It's like, y'all are just spewing stuff at me. (laughs) Because that's not who I am. That's not what I'm doing. So you know what? I feel like I have something here, and I'm going to see it through. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Period. And, And again, I think, like I said, because... I knew I wasn't breaking any rules, and I knew my intention wasn't yeah. bad. I wasn't out here trying to, like, dismantle the NBA like that. Right, right, no, bro, right. like, this is my dream to play in, in this thing since I was four years old. Yeah, you felt confident because your intent was strong. Exactly. Yeah. And so for, for people, if your intentions are good and you know you're not doing anything wrong, I say stay steadfast in your beliefs. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And keep hammering at that stone. And then what you realize, even in that journey, is if it doesn't even come to fruition exactly how you thought, you may end up on that slight pivot that now, you know what I'm saying? I mean, Cassie has raised, what, 30-plus million, and, and we're looking to Series A in the in the fall or so, fall, winter, you know what I'm saying, and continue to, like, continue to grow it, right? And, and I have a majority interest in it because of the way it started with both my personal investment and then also because we, we, we were on a Web3 platform, we got grants. So my equity wasn't really diluted heavily to begin with. You know what I'm saying? Until we first did our first seed round, which was a very high seed round. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's how it all kind of happened. So, again, more equity means more responsibility. Mm-hmm. But I had to take all those, not just financial bullets, but uh, 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 reputation bullets at the mm-hmm. time, right? And so, But now I stand to gain hundreds of millions of dollars because of that. So it's like, you know, you, you do what you believe in. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's... A handful of people who truly focus in on intent yeah. versus like outcome. Yeah. You know, so like the, the fact that you're thinking that way, and it, it, it you can't lose. Like there's no such thing as losing. Like yeah. you said, the journey then becomes a reward because if the intent is there, then it's all a win. Yeah. yeah. So I'm 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 curious, what is what does a win look like for Galaxy? Like as you guys are getting ready to launch launch the platform, the intent was there. I I see I see why I see what. Like, what, what does the next, you know, one year, five year, ten year of Calyxie look like for you? That's, that is possibly the toughest question that I've been asked in this two days. Uh, I think as I moved myself to chairman from CEO in the last, it's probably been 18 months now, a year, 18 months, something like that, I would have to, and this is probably the easy way out, but I'm going to take it. I would have to default to my co-founder and CEO on what a win would be. Because basically what I did was I said the exit or the dream coming to fruition will mean more to you guys than me. So I can't only look at it from my perspective. Because I can say, hey, this is my baby. I want to make a billion dollars. But let's say we got bought out at 500 million 
and I'm a majority owner, and so I make a couple hundred million, but they have 10% or, you know, 12%, whatever it is, right? That 50 million for them, when you got a couple hundred thousand, is a lot different than putting 200 million on 100 million. You know what I mean? So from the, from the financial perspective, I have to default to them. From the dream perspective, a functioning product that launches to the masses that we already got great reviews on in a lot of ways is the like the reward mm. you know what and I mean? the impact on all the creators and the impact yeah. on the creator you know what i'm saying like mm. like mm. that's the piece because you know we've, we've had 30 40 50 creators in it saying like they love it all that other stuff so so that's that part's cool but but to launch after arguing with the nba five years ago and all that stuff to get to this place and be like, we know it's a dope product. We know people so far like it. We're actually launched, like we actually have code in system user interface on, you know, web, UX, UI, all that stuff. It's it's real. Yeah. And they can't say, you know what I'm saying, that like it was fake or it the intention was bad or whatever else. I think in a lot of ways that's a win because as you know in business, there's no way to know whether you make money or not. Mm-hmm. You could have the greatest, dopest product ever and it could just be bad timing. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. in 10 years, somebody makes the same thing and they become a trillionaire, right? Like, mm-hmm. like there, it's- Why? Why? Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, like there, there's no way to know. So I think in a lot of ways, really being able to like mass launch, whether we make a dime, or we make a hundred million or a billion is the success aspect of it because of the road. But to but to say what the exit success would be, that's where I default because it'll change more lives than mine. Like it'll it'll change mine. Don't get it twisted. Because now I probably edge from like Hey, I'm chilling to like I got fuck you money, oh, yeah. Oh, which will yeah. be fun. Like you'll see a yacht out there with like <laughs> 26 on it. Yeah. But like a lot of my brothers that I brought along with me, that I gave equity in the business, or even like I said, my my co-founder is my best friend's brother, yeah. and not because he's my best friend's brother, because he's literally on Wall Street and graduated from you know Ivy League school oh, and all yeah. sort of stuff. It just it just happened that we ended up being family by extension. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So there's a lot of lives that it'll change. Yep. But that's why I would have to default to them for that, like, guidance on, like, okay, this is a good price. Because if I just say, oh, I want to be a billionaire, we might have a chance to exit at 500 million. Yep. And I say, no, nah, we're going to hold out to 2 billion because I got to be a billionaire. Right. And I fuck everybody. Yeah. And and that would be terrible. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that's a, a, a great answer, and I really appreciate that. I got I got one last question for you. You made a tough decision coming out of high school to go to Colorado. From a guy who is as articulate as you are right now yeah. and, has, and has been able to sit here and take us through, you know, the, the high level of thinking that you've gone through, passed on a, the Ivy League school to be at at Harvard. Yeah. If you didn't make the decision to go to Colorado and play in the Pac-12 and went to Harvard, where would you be at today? I'd be here, for sure. Yeah? When I had the NBA career that I had, I don't know, hmm. but um, 
It comes down to my parents. As much as they stressed education, my mom has a PhD from USC. She's read to me every night, spoke to me like an adult. It's part of the reason why I'm able to be articulate, vocabulary, all that stuff. My dad on the entrepreneurial side instilled the confidence to go against the grain and make my own decisions. And so when it came down to it, um, and I'll tell you a story before I even say that, about when I got hurt the first time. I was, you know, in college, I was in my junior year, we were rolling, we was playing well. Um, I was supposed to be a lottery pick at the time. Like, greatest season in Colorado history. We're like 15th, I'd be 10th in the country, all this stuff. Turned my ACL. And, you know, I was crying, I was a kid, I didn't know what to expect, I thought I had lost my dream. And I told my, my parents, my mom specifically, I was like, uh, and it's not a Nike tagline, but I told her, I was like, uh, I was crying after I got hurt, and, and she was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I still want to go to the NBA, mom, like, I don't know how. She was like, no, Spence, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to go to the NBA. She was like, well, then do it. Mm. And that was kind of the, the way that my parents, when it came to a big decision, if you fuck it up, though, oh, yeah. stand on it. Oh, yeah. We're not coming to save you. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? The big believers in that, like, yo, if you're not in school, don't have a job, whatever, you can't come back to the house. We don't raise non-productive people here. So you got to have a reason you coming back for real. You know what I'm saying? Yep. But it's kind of the same thing with Colorado and Harvard when I was like, I wanted to go to the NBA. And they were like, are you ready to turn down Harvard? And, and my extended family was like, bro, you're stupid. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Like, you know for a fact you can get you an engineering job or this job, whatever. You're going to make a couple hundred thousand for the rest of your life. You are fine. Like, you're good. And I was like, but I want to play in the NBA. And I, and I want to, and at the time, like, I want to show USC, UCLA. I want to show all these people. Like, Pac-12 was producing the most pros at the time. I'm like, if I go there, I know I can show everybody. And they were like, so do it. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? If in four years, it don't work. Yep. And you looking back, and you're like, yo, I, I should have got that Harvard degree. You're going to have to live with that. Yep. And maybe that's the right thing to do as a parent. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But at 18, I heard, well, they said I can. Here you go. Appreciate you, man. This is great. You know, I, I think that there's a million things that we can chat about. That, like I said, the, the reason for leaving the game for me is because of these conversations, yeah. because of this type of thinking and the environment that we're here in and can and the people that we get to shake hands with. I just really felt the desire to, to, to go all in and try to stay ahead of the pack and not, you know, take a couple suitcases to, to Detroit, Michigan and, and live out of a, you know, Holiday Inn. Yeah. To, to see if I can get another contract. What I appreciate from you is that you had the same exact opportunity. You know, three years in, could have took a step back and somehow got back on track to, to almost unlock the same thinking that I thought I was, I was not going to be able to have by, by chasing my dream. Yeah. So I got a lot of respect for what you do. I'm excited to maybe circle back here in, in a year or two to see where Galaxy's at. More importantly, to see that 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 uh, you know three-year, ninety-three-year, hundred million-dollar contract and see what that looks like. Maybe I can hop on the helicopter to come out here with you. We, we can go kick it with Dan and Sandro Pay or something. Um, but I really appreciate you, man. This is great. Thanks for listening to Playing Business. As you know, Dan and I value good discourse and perspective. So let us know what you agree with, disagree with, or what you'd like to hear in a future episode. Always appreciate a good review or a rating, and be sure to subscribe. Thanks to the On Discourse and Audio Up team for the production of the podcast and see you in the next episode.